Welcome to the Matheson Brexit Forum podcast series. Hello, my name is Joe Bischel. I'm a partner in Matheson. And I'd like to talk to you today about one aspect of Brexit, which is the opinion issued by ESMA at the end of May. The context of this, given that it was about not quite a, a year from the anniversary of the UK vote to leave the European Union, was around regulatory convergence. Since the vote, firms across the City of London have been working out their Brexit solution, and for many, it involves obtaining a licence within the EU. Lots of firms have had meetings with different regulators in Ireland and other countries, Netherlands, Luxembourg, Belgium, Germany, France, and so on. And it's become apparent to some regulators that there have been some sort of negotiations between regulators or Firms have been playing one regulator off another. Some regulators have been concerned that there's been a drive to the bottom. So what ESMA has done is try to provide a framework, a set of principles against which all regulators are required to address these Brexit-related issues. So what does this mean or what does it look like in terms of this this opinion? So what it breaks down to is nine principles, many of which I guess are particularly familiar to everyone, to be honest. They're not that new, but it is interesting to see them pulled together in one document and they are very focused on Brexit and Brexit alone. So the first one is about the recognition of existing authorisations. Unfortunately, for UK firms, there's no free pass. The fact that you already have a licence in the UK doesn't mean that there's any automatic licensing in any other member state. Now, I guess that's probably to be expected. But what is relevant, and I know the Central Bank in Ireland have said this to us, is that because you're regulated or a UK firm is regulated by the PRA or FCA, obviously it'll be used to a very high standard of regulation. There'll be lots of policies and procedures. The firm will be well used to a high standard of regulation. So pulling together an application for a new EU firm, like one for the Central Bank in Ireland, won't be as difficult as if you're coming from a completely unregulated or a third country uh, jurisdiction. The second principle is that the authorisation procedure that is applied by each EU member state is rigorous and efficient. And I think where this is coming from is that some member states have, or some regulators, have proposed or advertised certainly fast-track type of procedures or abbreviated type of procedures. And what ESMA is trying to say is that the same procedure should apply to everyone everywhere and there shouldn't be any special considerations now, having said that, that doesn't mean to say that local regulators have to ignore everything that's been done in the UK. So, for example, they particularly call out that a local regulator or a new regulator can have regard to the fitness and probity tests that would have been done. In the UK, they have a, a strong senior manager regime and a local regulator like the Central Bank of Ireland can have regard to that in their own approval process for directors and senior management for an application in Ireland. The third principle is that each applicant needs to be able to justify why they picked a particular country to relocate to. This isn't going to be a challenge to anyone relocating to Ireland from London. There's common language, obviously. There's the common law, there's familiarity, cultural connection, and all that good stuff, connections. So that, I think, isn't particularly an issue for relocating to Ireland. The fourth principle is that member state regulators should be careful to ensure that a letterbox entity isn't created. I think there's a sense that for UK firms, the ideal solution is to incorporate an entity in another EU member state, have no or minimum staff and outsource everything back to the UK such that the EU entity really has nothing in it. And of course, for a lot of people, that would be the ideal solution. What this principle is saying is that 
this isn't realistic. The phrase letterbox entity is often used in EU regulation. What it doesn't do, of course, is it doesn't actually define what letterbox entity is. It leaves it up to member state regulators to work that out. But it does say that regulators should ensure that all substantial activities or functions are performed inside the EU27. The next principle, principle five, is around outsourcing and delegation. And this is kind of one of the core ones. It's common ground and well known, of course, that in financial services, outsourcing happens all the time. Outsourcing happens within member states, across member states and to third countries as well. And Brexit doesn't have to change anything in that regard. But there is, of course, a concern, as I mentioned earlier, that firms will establish a minimal presence in one member state and outsource everything back to the UK. What this principle is trying to say is that key functions must be retained within the regulated firm in the EU member state. This principle also points out that some EU rules require that there be cooperation agreements between regulators. So, for example, at the moment, under the MIFID regulations, if a firm wants to delegate portfolio management for retail clients to a third country, and of course, post-Brexit, UK will be a third country, there needs to be a cooperation agreement between the two regulators. So in this case, in Ireland, it would be the Central Bank of Ireland and the UK PRA FCA. The next principle is that member states should ensure that substance requirements are met. And this is the really important one. What exactly, how much substance did you have to have? Now, unfortunately, it doesn't really answer that question. These whole series of principles are just that. It's setting out parameters, frameworks, perimeter guidance, if you want to call it that. It does say that certain important activities cannot be outsourced out of the EU27, and that includes internal control functions, IT control infrastructure, risk assessment, compliance functions, key management functions and sector specific functions. The next principle, principle number seven, is related to the previous one and that's around it's a requirement that there be sound governance of EU entities and this is one which does talk about employment within the new regulated entity. It does require that key executives and senior managers should actually be employed in the new EU regulated entity. It does concede that for smaller firms, there might be a part-time role and and full-time employment might not be required. It's linked to the outsourcing point. There has to be robust, on-the-ground oversight of the actual firm. There can be outsourcing, but there can't be so much outsourcing that there's nothing left in the firm. And also, I think there's a focus here that the executives that are on the ground are actually running the firm. The firm has an EU licence, it is responsible to the relevant regulator in Ireland, that would be the central bank, and that those people are sufficiently strong and senior and capable to do that role. Now, the big practical concern in relation to this particular principle is really for the funds industry. And the question is, how do these principles reconcile with the way funds and fund managers are currently governed? following a very detailed consultation engagement with industry from the central bank, which resulted in consultation paper 86, a model has developed which does involve a delegation, does involve board members undertaking roles, does involve non-board members undertaking roles, some of whom are not located in Ireland and indeed some of whom are not located within the EU. I think what's important here is some context actually is that the Central Bank of Ireland held a stakeholder meeting just 10 days before the ESMA guidance was issued on the 22nd of May, and there are minutes published on their website. This was quite a significant meeting, I would say. We had uh, Bernard Jardin, who is the 
deputy governor of the central bank and all the senior management team and heads of function. So there were actually 18 from the central bank there. And there were 18 of us practitioners who've been involved on Brexit-related projects over the past 12 months. Jerry Cross is the director of policy and risk at the central bank. And Mr. Cross was very careful to point out that the central bank is a key member of ESMA, is a very strong and active member of ESMA. And in many respects, it was driving the document, which was ultimately published. And he made it clear that the document that subsequently came out at the end of May was very nearly finalised. He did say that in the preparation of the ESMA opinion that the central bank was very pleased, and there was words, very pleased to have been able to explain the CB86 governance model to ESMA members. And I think it was very clear from that that there was no pushback and that ESMA members were indeed comfortable with that. The clear steer therefore is that there's nothing in this ESMA opinion which will contradict or upset the CB86 model. The next principle talks about effectively supervising and enforcing union law. And I think what this is about is around the licensing process and the transitional period. What firms ideally like is to be able to get a license and then build out from it. So there's obviously a sense that Brexit was forced upon people. Indeed, Mr. Cross at the Centre Bank meeting did acknowledge that the Centre Bank understands that Brexit was forced upon people. It's a cost that nobody wants to bear, but it's a cost that people are forced to bear. And he did make the point that the central bank would like to accommodate firms as much as possible, subject to the legal rules and legal minima being met. So what this particular principle is talking about is saying, yes, member state regulators can be responsive in that regard, but, and this is the big but, there has to be the minimum baseline of all of the regulatory requirements being met. So for example, where there's outsourcing, all of the outsourcing arrangements in terms of there being an agreement, an SLA and the like, have to be in place. So there can't be any shortcuts there. The final principle is one that is most directed to regulators only. What Mr Cross said at the Central Bank stakeholder meeting was that all ESMA members were very committed to ensuring regulatory convergence. He described a real determination to achieve this. But there was also a recognition that there has to be some sort of enforcement or oversight mechanism to ensure it actually happens in practice. When you have a look at the opinion, you can see that it is, as I've described, full of general principles and parameter or guidance, as I've said, and there's plenty of scope within that for different member states to diverge. So for this to be truly meaningful and truly effective, ESMA has to ensure that there is some sort of peer review. And this principle nine, the last principle, is a, effectively a policy statement, a determination from ESMA members to each other effectively to make sure that they make this thing a reality, this thing, this sort of base level that they're trying to achieve an actual reality. So our sense is that this opinion is, in some respects, not new. I'm a financial regulatory practitioner in Ireland, and I would say that everything that's within this opinion is really reflective of the central bank's current practices. I know that they worked very hard to ensure that these were applied at an ESMA level. But it is to be welcomed, I think, that there is this baseline now. I remember first dealing with Brexit issues in the autumn of last year, and it was very clear that because this is a big macro issue where there are really fundamental shifts potentially going to happen, that it wouldn't be left to individual regulators. Because this is a European development, European structures have to react. So we've seen the ECB providing some guidelines in relation to banks, and it's to be very welcome that ESMA has provided this guidance in relation to investment firms and other entities within its remit. But the work isn't done. 
ESMA is going to provide more guidance. It said that it's going to provide sector-specific guidance for asset managers, investment firms and secondary markets in the coming weeks and months. And these, I think, will be keenly anticipated and particularly watched and read. So while this opinion has lots of principles, as I've said, these sector-specific guidance, we're expecting to have much more specific detail. And I think, like all of these things, the devil will be in the detail. So we certainly welcome the ESMA opinion. It does set a baseline for all regulators. As a practitioner of financial regulation in Ireland, I'd have to say that none of the principles set out are particularly new or or innovative. They they really are reflective of what the Central Bank of Ireland's current practice will be. But it is good to see that there's a pan-European approach being taken. It stands to reason that because Brexit has a pan-European effect, that pan-European regulatory bodies such as ESMA will take a view and apply a standard and it's good that that's happening. We've seen the ECB take similar measures in relation to banks. I think what will be particularly helpful will be forthcoming sector-specific guidance to be issued by ESMA. This will be for asset managers, investment firms and secondary markets. So we're expecting there to be far more detail in these guidance. And that too will be very welcomed by everyone involved in the Brexit planning process. We will, of course, keep you updated as these sector-specific guidelines are issued. Thanks for listening to the Matheson Brexit Forum podcast series. For more Brexit content and thought leadership, go to matheson.com forward slash Brexit. Matheson is the law firm of choice for internationally focused companies and financial institutions doing business in and from Ireland.